Masecha Nedarim Daf Lametet. Today is all about Bikur Cholim. We're going to start with some halachot about if someone is, has a vow against someone else, can they go and visit them? And then we're going to get, see some agadot about the importance of visiting the sick. So Mishnah begins Hamudar Levakero. Omed Aval Lo Yoshev. Someone has a vow against his friend and he comes to visit him. The Gemara is going to discuss which way is the vow, who was permitted to whom. A simple reading of the Mishnah is that uh, the, there is a prohibition for the visitor to give any benefit to the sick person. And so by visiting him, you might think, well, that would, then he's benefiting the sick person with that visit. And so the Mishnah teaches that it actually depends. Um, he can still come in and stand, uh, meaning like a really quick visit, uh, but he cannot sit. Idea is that uh, sitting and visiting for a long time, that would be really helping him out, uh, be more like, uh, you know, providing nursing service by sitting there and taking care of his needs and all that. So that's a, 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 a bit, a longer visit would be prohibited, but a quick short visit is not a material benefit and therefore would be permitted. Furthermore, and he can heal them with uh, healing of the soul, uh, but not healing of money. So with a quick visit, you cheer the guy up, that's permitted, um, because that's not a physical benefit, but or material benefit, a financial benefit, but you cannot go and pay for his medication and or give him uh, give him gifts or food or anything like that. That would uh, cost money. Okay, now the Gemara is going to ask, uh, wh- which way is the vow? If it's the property of the visitor that is prohibited to the sick person, that, that is what, we, uh, what I just assumed. And here we're dealing with a different problem, not the problem of the, of the visitor giving benefit by, by, by visiting and you know, helping to cheer him up. We're talking about the, a different prohibition, which is that the, if, if the vis, when the visitor comes to visit, he's going to walk into the sick person's house. And so just trespassing, coming onto the, vis, onto the sick person's property, um, benefiting from the shelter of his house, that is a benefit. We discussed a while ago, even going through, taking a shortcut through someone's field if, um, if I can't benefit from that person. And so now we say that if it's the, uh, sick, if, if it's the uh, uh, visitor's property that's prohibited to the sick person, so that means that the sick person cannot benefit, but there's no problem of the visitor benefiting, so then there's no problem at all. Even if the visitor comes and stands, or even if he sits down and hangs out and lounges around, in the sick person's house, there's no problem because the visitor is allowed to benefit from the sick person in this case. So that can't be, there can't be that, that way. So let's figure out the other way. So maybe we'll say that it's the uh, property of the sick person that's prohibited to the visitor. Okay, so now the visitor cannot have any benefit from the sick person, well then, then even standing would be a problem because the visitor cannot go into onto his property and benefit from the shelter of his home, even, not, not even for a minute. So standing or sitting should both be prohibited. So what would be a case where we would make a distinction between standing and sitting?
We're going to see two answers. The first one is Amar Shemuel Leolam Asurin Al Hachole. In fact, we're going to go back to the first opinion, the first possibility. It's where the property of the visitor is prohibited to the sick person. So the sick person cannot receive any benefit. And so we're talking about the benefit of receiving a, uh, a visitor who will cheer him up. We're talking about a place where the custom is that if someone comes and visits and sits there for a while, then they're entitled to payment, right? This is like a visiting nurse service type of thing. Um, the person sitting there is not just for a quick visit, you know, hi, how are you doing? I hope you feel better, right? But it's actually sitting there for a while and will tend to that person's needs and that therefore um, this is something that normally would get paid, uh, would be a paid service. So in this case, if the visitor comes and sits there for an hour, well, that's an hour that the uh, sick person will not have to pay someone else to come and sit there. So that is a financial benefit. And that's why sitting is prohibited um, because the sick person is not allowed to receive any financial benefit from the visitor. But in, that, in this place, we, they do not have a custom of receiving money for standing. If you just come and for a quick visit and standing, then um, that's not substantial enough to require payment. And so since people do that for free, there's no financial aspect to it. And that's prohibited. Even though I can't give you any benefit, I can still come for a quick visit if you're sick. Good. So that's the first answer. We're just going to explain this distinction between standing and sitting further. My Pasca, how come you don't make any qualification? Um, and uh, what, you know, is it you're making it obvious that the distinction between standing and sitting, but what is the reason for this distinction? We're going to see two answers. So number one, it could be teaching us uh, when the Mishnah makes a distinction between standing and sitting. Uh, it's teaching us something else that even in a, in a place where the custom is for a visitor to get paid, right? There are some places where visitors don't get paid at all. But even where they do get paid, that's only if they're sitting then they uh, deserve to get payment because that makes sense. They're sitting there for a long time. They're going to help out. Um, but for standing, then that does not is not deserving of any payment. And so that's basically what Shemuel uh, said. Um, so that's the reason for the distinction. Or, or another answer is that really even for uh, even for sitting would be permitted because you're there to do a mitzvah. So according to this, this is not not about the um, uh, not about the payment. Let's assume that's a place where they don't get payment uh, for not for standing and not for sitting. We could still explain the Mishnah um, in this way where it's a problem for the sick person cannot receive any benefit. But in this answer, we're assuming that uh, receiving a visitor for a sick person is not considered a financial benefit. And so that would be totally fine. The problem is that the visitor may overstay his visit more than necessary. In other words, more than actually helping the sick person. So we're going to say it's a gezera. And just as the Bishimon Ben Yadakim says elsewhere that we're afraid the person will stand. This is what we're going to see in a couple of Dapim from now. A person cannot enter another person's uh, 
field because not even for a moment because he may stand there and remain for longer and then and then get benefit uh, from it so here also we're applying a similar logic and saying that we're afraid that the visitor will come if he just comes for a visit and he stays and he stands or sits that's totally fine because that is a mitzvah that he's doing and uh, the, um, the, the sick person is not getting any financial benefit. He's only getting some uh, benefit of the soul uh, that he's uh, being cheered up. And so that would be fine. But if he then stays longer than necessary for the mitzvah, for visit, uh, visiting the sick, in that case, the visitor will, act, the visitor will be, uh, in fact, giving more benefit to the um, to the sick person beyond the mitzvah, and that's what we're afraid of. That is the prohibition. Okay, so this is a second answer within the possibility that the uh, that the prohibition is on the sick person to receive benefit. But now we're going to see on the other branch uh, another answer. Ula amar olam asurin al No, maybe Ula says it's the other way around. It's that the um, property of the sick person is prohibited to the visitor. So the visitor is prohibited from receiving benefit. But we made a vow, he did not include anything that would be necessary for his existence. So, you know, these two people, maybe they're friends, but they have a fight. And so the, the one who was, uh, you know, eventually will be, become the visitor says that I'm not going to um, receive any benefit from you. However, um, if, if it's something that's absolutely necessary for your existence and, you know, we need some help from each other, uh, then, it, then he's, not in, he's not including that in the vow. Um, and so therefore, uh, yes, although it's true that the uh, property of the sick person is prohibited to the visitor, and therefore the visitor technically cannot walk into his house, um, but if, it's, if it needs to uh, walk into the house in order to help uh, the uh, help sustain the sick person because um, you know this uh, by visiting him it will make him feel better and otherwise he's not you know he may die and so in that case the vow did they didn't have in mind that vow and that's why it's permitted okay wait a second if so then even for sitting should be allowed the visitor should be able to come in and sit down and benefit benefit from being in the sick person's house and even using his chair and his couch uh, because it's necessary for him to make a visit for the benefit of the sick person and his existence. So why should there be a distinction? And we say, no, he can, he can uh, visit the sick person and help him out by standing. And so he, has, he can only do that. He can only benefit the minimum amount possible uh, for him to uh, to do uh, to to benefit the sick person and he can give as just as much benefit by standing if he goes goes as and goes as and sit goes ahead and sits then he's receiving actually more benefit than is necessary for the visit and that would be then violate the vow okay so that's Ula's answer so altogether actually we have three answers two in the first branch and one in the second branch now we have a challenge. This Baraita says that if, a, uh, if a, a, a person himself gets sick, then even though there's a vow, 
we'll see which way the vow is, the visitor can come visit him. But if that person's son gets sick, then the visitor cannot come in. You can only ask him about ask about it from outside, but will not be able to come in and visit. Now, let's see, which way are we talking about? Uh, all this makes sense according to Ula who said, that's the property of the sick person that's prohibited upon the visitor. So the visitor cannot get any benefit. Uh, so, so he says, listen, I'm not going to receive any benefit from you unless you need it for your, your life-threatening situation. Yeah, so then if the, if the sick person himself is the one who's sick, uh, the one who made the one against whom he made a vow is the one who's sick. Then that's permitted. That's a permitted exception. I can come into your house and and benefit from your roof um, in order to help your existence. But I did not make any uh, the, any uh, um, cha- any distinction between uh, an, any loophole to allow it for your son. Right? If your son is the one who's sick, I didn't say that I can come in for your son's existential needs, and so there, that makes sense that. I cannot come into your house to visit your son. Okay, so that makes sense according to Ula. Ela li Shmuel, but according to Shmuel said the other way around. He said the property of the visitor is prohibited to the sick person. The sick person cannot receive any benefit. Then what's the difference between him and his son? Um, why shouldn't why should I not be able to visit his son? I only said that I. Um, uh, that the sick person himself cannot benefit from me. So that would, if anything, would be a problem for the sick person. Okay, for if it's a mitzvah in a short time, then it's allowed. Um, but for the son, should not be any problem at all. Why would the Baraita prohibit me from visiting his son? Uh, so that's a good question. So Shemal says, you're right, I, couldn't, I, could, I will not be able to explain the Braita in the same way as I explained the Mishnah. And so they're talking about different cases. The Mishnah is, as he said, when the property of the visitor is prohibited upon the sick person. But the Braita is, in fact, the other way around, as Ula said. When it's the property of the sick person that's prohibited to the visitor. So the visitor is not allowed to enter the house of the sick person of the son sick person or of his son. For the sick person himself, uh, then they can go in for existential need if that was made as an exception. Uh, but for the for the for the um, object of the vower's son, there was no exception, and so the Braitha is talking about the other way around, and that's how Shemuel will explain it. Now we ask, my Pasca, why come this distinction between the Braitha is made without qualification? How come it doesn't say so in the Mishnah or in the, in the Braitha? That's one way or the other. Shemuel had to explain the Mishnah in the way that he did, because otherwise he would have a difficulty. Because otherwise, why would there be a distinction between uh, a standing that's allowed and sitting that is not allowed? So that's why he had assumed that it has to be talking about a case where the property of the visitor is prohibited to the sick person. 
And therefore, if he's only standing and giving a short visit, that's permitted because then he's only doing a mitzvah. But if he's sitting down, that's something that would be compensatable. And that would be a financial benefit. And that's why it's prohibited. So Shemuel uh, felt that that distinction is necessary in order to explain Omed V'yoshev. So we had to explain the Mishnah in that direction. But the B'raita is best explained in the other direction. So yeah, it could very well be that they're talking about two different cases. They're two sources. All right, now that we uh, studied the Halachot, now some Agada. Where do we find a hint regarding visiting the section? Regarding the Korach, um, when uh, challenges Moshe, and then Moshe says, if um, Korach and his people will die a natural death, like all people do from uh, sickness or old age, um, and fukudat kol adam, and they are visited as all people are visited. So a simple reading is that they're visited w- with uh, sickness or death, um, if they die a natural death. Um, but the midrash is going to take ufikudat kol adam to mean if they're visited by people. So you, we're going to learn from here that uh, it's normal to visit people when they're sick. So my mashma, what does what does pasuk mean? Amarava imkemot kol adam yimutun ele shehem cholim umetulim ba'adi satan. So the first part is if they die accord in a, in a natural way. Um, which is that they become sick and then they'll become bedridden, and then ubne adam mevakerin otan, and then sick, and then people come to to visit them. Got kol adam, right? If a person dies unnaturally, kind of all of a sudden, an accident, then there's no chance to visit them in their beds. Uh, so that's the second part. We learn from there that this is the natural way. Someone gets sick, they're bedridden. And they're old, and then people come to visit them. And so Moshe says, if they die a natural death, Moshe will say, I am wrong. I, God did not appoint me. Okay, um, that, the, the simple reading of the rest of the Pasuk is that Moshe is the one saying that I am not appointed. Um, but in this Midrash, it's the people saying it. Uh, the people will say that Hashem did not appoint Moshe for the task. Um, okay, so that whereas if it's an unnatural death and uh, there uh, something new happens and the ground opens up and swallows Korach and his people, that will be a sign that um, Korach is wrong and Hashem despised them. So that's we're gonna since we quoted the first half, let's let's analyze the the next part of the pasuk. Darash, the next pasuk. Darash Rava Ivra Hashem. Um, if Hashem creates a new creation and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them, them up and all that's theirs and they go down alive into the pit, then we'll know that these men have despised God. Okay. So we're wondering about the double language here. What do you mean? Uh, so we're separating it. If um, uh, if Hashem already created Gehinam, it's already there, ready, then that's great, right? It'll be all ready for, the, for, for Korach to go there. But if not, if it doesn't exist yet, then Hashem should create it now uh, as a punishment for them. They're so deserving of it that they deserve that all Gehinam be created just for their punishment. Good. Ini, hold on. Does this, is this true that it's a possibility that Gehinam was not created yet before Korach seven items were created even before the world was created they're that essential um, and they are the Torah, uh, the possibility for repentance, Gan Eden, Gehinam. So you see here, Gehinam is one of them, 
is one of the items that was created even before the world. So what do you mean if it wasn't created? If surely was created before the world based on this source here. And in addition, the throne, the throne of glory and the Bet HaMikdash and the name of the Mashiach, all these were created before. It's very interesting Midrash. In other words, even, you know, the possibility of sinning, but the possibility of Teshuvah and the uh, redemption, all these are already planned out. So, you know, even when things look bleak, uh, you know, you don't have to worry. That, you know, there is a possibility for um, Teshuvah and redemption. Okay, um, now we're going to bring a Pasuk that proves each of them, and then we'll answer the question. So the, where, remember, the question is that, how could you say Gehinam might not have been created yet if it was here created? Um, but uh, the Torah, how do we know Torah was created first? The Dichtiv Hashem Kanani Reshit Darko in Mishle, talking about wisdom, and the Midrash equates that wisdom with Torah, uh, that says Hashem made me at the beginning of His way, all the way in the beginning of His creation. Torah was already there as the blueprint. So even before the mountains were brought forth or the earth was formed, uh, says you return man to contrition. So Teshuvah, here's the possibility of Teshuvah was there even before man was created, which is good. Uh, so uh, uh, man has a way of uh, uh, getting out of transgression, transgression and punishment, which uh, almost inevitably, they may fall into. Gan ayadin dichtiv Hashem elokim gan beayadin mi kedem. Be kedem literally means to the east, but it can also mean time-wise beforehand. So Hashem created gan eden even before everything else. Gehinam dichtiv ki aruch meetmol tof te pasuk en yeshayahu that says um, uh, because it, it was uh, set set forth from beforehand. The the toftez the hearth the, the fire of Gehinam was already there from beforehand. Hashem's throne was established from before, from old, uh, even before the world. Uh, your throne of glory, which is in the Bet HaMikdash, um, it was there on high from before. And so from, before, from, the, from the first, so it was there before creation. And that his name will be is there forever. So therefore, even before uh, the sun existed, uh, Mashiach's name was there. Okay, so that all now we have back. Now we can answer the question. Uh, Gehinam, it was there from before creation. So how could you say? How could Moshe say if if uh, Gehinam was not created? No, here we're going to reframe what he said. We know Gehinam is there, but the question is, does it have an opening? Moshe said, if it already has an opening, mutav, great. If not, then may Hashem create an opening so that Korach can fall in. That explains the double language. Hold on, even that is not satisfactory. We said there's nothing new under the sun. It has everything that's around, has to be created already. And Hashem is not going to create um, something completely new after that point, not even an opening for Gehinam. So another rephrasing. Certainly, there is an opening. Will be the point of having an opening. Um, uh, to uh, having Gehinam without an opening be like having a, a can without a can opener. Um, so, in fact, he, what he said is, um, if the opening for the entrance to Gehinam is not nearby here where we are, then let Hashem come and bring it closer so that uh, Korach and his people can fall in immediately. Okay, so that's not a new creation, that's just moving something that already exists.
We're now going to analyze a pasuk in Chabakuk that we're going to assume is related to Korach Vadato, even though it doesn't say anything in that context about Korach. Um, it may in fact be referring to Yoshua when he tells the sun to stop. Uh, so, but in any case, what does this mean that the sun and the moon stood in Zevul? Whether well, the sun and moon, what are they doing in the level of the heaven called Zevul? Uh, after all, they should be in the Rakia. Masechet Chagiga talks about the different levels of heavens and says that the Rakia is the second level. And that's where they, they're stuck and they go around in there. Uh, whereas Zivul is the fourth level. So they're, they're moving out of their proper orbits. So this teaches that the sun and the moon left their usual second sphere and went to the fourth level um, of heavens and in order to get closer to Hashem and, and give the following prayer. And they said, uh, Master of the Universe, It was at the time when Korach and his people were challenging Moshe, the son of Amram. And so they came to Hashem to defend him and said, Listen, uh, Hashem, if you do, do judgment for Ben Amram, for Moshe, to defend Moshe, then we will continue to give light to the world. But if not, we're turning off our light. Right? So they come and say, you know, we, uh, Moshe really needs help. And we demand that you uh, uh, that you help, or, or else we're going on strike. Um, so the rest of the pasuk says that Hashem sent arrows at them. Well, what does that mean? Arrows. This is the following attack. Hashem comes back to them and said, Every day, all the, lots of so many people on earth are bowing down to you and you continue to light up. You don't come and complain that, oh, all these idolaters, God, if you have to take care of these idolaters or else we will stop giving our light. Right? You didn't care anything about them, uh, about that. Hashem says, you don't care about my honor um, and, and protest when my honor is in trouble, but rather only for a human being. Then you come and protest. Right? Uh, if you uh, really cared about everyone equally, then you would, you would come and say, hey, look, they're bowing down to us, the sun and the moon, and this is improper. God, your honor is at stake. You have to do something about it. So the sun and the moon are, ha- are happy when everyone's bowing down to the sun and the moon. And they, even though it, it takes away from God's honor, God's glory, they don't care about that. So Hashem says, see, you're not really sincere. Um, and all of a sudden now, right, when you're a human being, then you care about Him. So therefore, um, Hashem, from then on, had to force the sun and the moon to give their life. The rest of the pasuk, that they give light, odd, only because of the arrows and spears that Hashem is letting uh, out at them to force them to do so. All right, Tanya. More on the praise of visiting the sick. There is no fixed measure for this mitzvah. 
does that mean? My en la shiur. Sabar Rav Yosef le memar en shiur le matan There's no fixed measure to its reward. Um, you could, you know, it could be the greatest reward. You can continue getting reward um, uh, without uh, without limit. Amar le Abaye vechomisvot mi yesh shiur le matan secharan. But Abaye challenged this explanation. Says what for other misvot there is a, a a limit to the reward that you can get. Vatanan heves ehi misvot kalaka b'chamurash and atayodei matan secharan shel misvot. We have a Mishnah Pirkavot that says you should be meticulous in minor mitzvot and major mitzvot because you never know what the reward for mitzvah is. Something might seem like it's uh, simple, easy to do, or a light mitzvah, but, and something else may be uh, difficult or seem like a very important mitzvah and Ten Commandments, all that, but you never know. Uh, what the reward is, right? We um, we value all mitzvot. What he means that there's no shiur. It means that even someone very prominent and famous should go and visit even um, uh, someone who is a, a lowly person, uh, some uh, even uh, um, and not say, oh, it's not, it's not beneath my honor to go visit uh, that person. No, you even go. And visit and visit someone who's who's young or who's, who's not so important. Uh, uh, it's uh, visiting the sick is equal opportunity for everyone. Or another explanation is that you can fulfill many times in the day. Um, uh, so even if you go a hundred times and you keep visiting, you don't just do limit it to one one visit per week or one visit per day. Um, if the sick person wants it and is and is uh, cheered up by going many times and you keep visiting them a lot of times and maybe it's a member of your household uh, who's sick and so you you uh, that's also called visiting the sick and so you go to their room and visit them and it might be many many times a day uh, to take care of their needs and cheer them up all that is a mitzvah. Uh, someone who visits visits the sick visits the sick takes away one sixtieth of the person's suffering. Why is everything a sixtieth in the Talmud? Um, because they lived in Bavel, where they counted in base 60. We have remnant today still with uh, seconds and minutes, 60. Uh, so this would be the smallest possible measure that you can even have a number for. Uh, so he takes away a little bit of his uh, sickness, right? You cheer him up. Uh, laughter is the best medicine. Okay, so that's what he means. It's not literally that he's taking an actual uh, one uh, over 60 of his sickness. It means he's um, uh, helping him out a bit. But now we're going to take it literally. Right, in that case, let 60 people come and visit him, and then it'll be totally better because each one takes away a 60th. So, how could that be? No, it doesn't work like that. It's like the 10th of the house of Rabbi, which we'll explain what that means in a second. And uh, that means that. Each sixtieth only takes you only take away sixtieth whatever whatever is left. So the first guy will take away one sixtieth, and so now there'll be a little less. But the second guy doesn't take a whole sixtieth of what was the original amount of sickness, but rather what's left. So um, even if a lot of people come, there's still going to be something left. Uh, it's um, 
it can actually, you know, it's a limit and goes on to infinity. Um, so it'll be, you know, very, very little, but still you won't be able to take away everything because it's only a 60th or whatever is left, not of the original. And furthermore, it doesn't work for anyone who comes to visit. It has to be Ben Gila, same age. Here it's referring to same constellation, same astrological sign. So this gets into some astrology that when a person who is the same sign as the sick person comes, then they have a, a special connection and can remove some of the sickness. But if they're not uh, the same, then the visit will not be as effective. Um, okay, you could take this literally or maybe not. Maybe it means that when uh, uh, someone comes who's a, a good visit, who uh, gets understands the sick person and can relate to him on his level, maybe, you know, so I, I, I felt that once also and really cheer them up then that's a, a better visit than uh, someone who was uh, not really familiar and not as friendly with the person and well is not going to cheer him up as much so maybe maybe that's what maybe that's what it means if you don't want to take it astrologically okay the tanya and how do we know the, what is this tenth of the bee's uh, house the bee omer batanizonet minikhse achin nitelet isur nesachim nechasim the bee said this is from masechet ketubot that if you have a daughter, um, uh, it is orphans, and there's a daughter and the sons, and the daughter is being fed from the property of the sons. That's the, that, that's the, uh, included in the Ketubah, that the daughter can continue to be sustained and get her food from the inheritance. Um, when, when it's time for her to get married, the standard amount of a dowry is one-tenth of the father's property. And so now, now the brothers have to give one-tenth of the property as a dowry to their sister. Okay, that's what Rabbi said. They challenged him and said, what if a person, a man has ten daughters and one son and he dies and so now the this son he he he's the only one that, that inherits he inherits all of the property but when one of his sisters gets married he's gonna have to give her a tenth and so he has ten sisters when all of them get married the son will left with, be left with zero is that fair does that make sense and be answered. And be explained that no, it doesn't work that way. That if there's a, a hundred dollars in the uh, in the pro, in, in the amount of the property, inherit entire inheritance, then the first sister that gets married will get a tenth, which is ten. But that leaves ninety. The second one will only get ten percent of that, which is nine. Uh, and and uh, and so on uh, and so on. Um, if you do the math, it ends up that the son will end up with thirty five percent of it. The um, the average of all the of each of the daughters, even though the first will get the most and the last one will get the least, um, average is sixty five percent. We'll continue with more agadot about on the next staff. Baruch Adonai Amen v'amen.